Welcome to the Final Girls Podcast. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. To celebrate the release of Amulet in UK cinemas, we've got an exclusive interview with Romola Garai, the writer-director of this genuinely weird gothic horror film that premiered at Sundance 2020 and finally hits UK screens. In this chat with Romola, we chat about female rage, about her love of horror, and some of the unique uh, creations present in Amulet. Please note that the first half of the interview is not spoilerific, but we do make it super clear in our conversation when we're entering spoiler territory around halfway through our conversation. So after that moment, we talk explicitly about the ending of the film. And if you haven't seen Amulet yet, then I definitely suggest uh, to watch the film first and then come back to this chat. The film follows a homeless ex-soldier who receives a mysterious offer to work as a carer for a woman and her dying mother. He soon falls in love with a daughter, but cannot quite shake the suspicion that there's something weird going on in the old house, which they all share. The film carries influences of body horror and fairy tales, but ends up going in a radically different and weird direction. If you enjoy this podcast, do follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Final Girls UK and consider leaving us a little review on Apple Podcasts. With all of that said, please enjoy my conversation with writer-director Romola Garai. Thank you so much for for your time and for taking the time to talk to me. Really, um, thanks, Anna. It's great to be here. I've been it's it's been weird. I've been hearing about Amulet for a while now, and your name keeps popping up as someone who's uh, a big fan of horror. and And I wanted to really start a conversation by asking by hearing about your own personal relationship with horror. Sure. Well, uh, I think I. I mean, I suppose my earliest memory of watching things with creatures would have been The Dark Crystal, uh, which had a big impact on me when I was younger. And then I think I watched a show called The Storyteller, which was on TV when I was a kid. And that was a Jim Henson piece, but they were fairy tales. Mm -hmm. And I really clearly remember watching those when I was a young child. And so I think it was always something that I was very um, attracted to. And and actually, now that you, you know, I have um, young kids myself, I kind of go back and I look at the things that I was writing as a child, and they often were things with creatures in them, stories with creatures in them. But then, obviously, you know, as I got older and I, you know, started kind of working in film and stuff, and became more aware of the 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 work that I really liked and responded to. You know, a lot of it was like Polanski, and you know, The Tenant was a big reference for this film. And um, Possession was a film that I really love. I was kind of introduced to Cronenberg by um, a friend when I was a teenager and kind of watched all of the Cronenberg movies and <laughs> loved them all. So that was a big part. Those, those, those films have been a big part of my, my life. Um, Dead Ringers is, I think, one of my favourite films ever made. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, and possession, that was a big reference for this film. Um, and uh, yeah, and Zelaski was obviously, that was someone I was introduced to when I was, when I started becoming more interested in film when I started working in it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, all of those things were, I think, um, filmmakers that I really love and, and uh, became really important in, in, in this, making this film. Trouble, Trouble Every Day was a big reference for me. That was a film that I really, really loved. It's one of my uh, favorite horror films. So yeah, they were all, that's, yeah, they were all in there. That's one of my all-time favorites. I think I yeah. never even actually thought about it as a horror film. It was just this weird nightmarish film that I almost thought that I made up in my mind the first, yeah, the like, first couple of years. Yeah, dream it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I saw it in university at a really tiny VHS and then I just I could never find it again. And I was thinking, I think I, I think I might have dreamt that that's not a real yeah. film. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, but moving on to Amulet specifically, I'm always really curious and I wanted to ask you about the origin story of this. So kind of was there a particular a scene? Was there a character or or, or what came first in the in the story of Amulet coming into being? Well, when I sort of sat down to write a a horror film, I tried to do um, a bit of sort of free writing. I tried not to kind of over control it because I I hadn't written a horror film before. This was the first time I'd I'd tried to write a horror film. I had written sort of supernatural films, a couple of ghost stories, um, but nothing that was as much in this space. And like what came out was just a lot of rage. (laughs) It's like quite an angry film, I think. And also something that I really kind of wanted to explore was the idea of the kind of tropes that we associate with kind of male and female relationships, you know, young man, young woman, and older woman. And exploring those, um, forcing the audience to kind of question their relationship with those characters and exploding some of the kind of myths around them. Um, the film's sort of a bit about transformation I think about about birth and through the sort of agony of birth the kind of uh, a realization of a kind of trueness or a kind of true state that comes through that so I guess it's a bit about birth and also a bit about kind of realizing your true self beneath your kind of disguise so those are all sort of different themes that are going on in the film I think. And and I wanted to pick you up on kind of on this exploding of the tropes, particularly that of the older woman, um, who very often is kind of we we're kind of socialized to think, oh, an older woman is always a protective figure. And and Imelda's character in the film is kind of very much is and isn't at the same time. Um, so can you talk a little bit about about that, about her character in particular and and subverting that trope while at the same time leaning into it for a big chunk of the film? Yeah, and also the older woman who's, you know, um, this kind of apparently abusive figure in the attic and the idea of the evil queen and the evil stepmother and those sorts of things. So, yeah, I think um, it. what was important to me that when people sit and watch the movie, when, you know, two characters say there's an old woman in the attic who's like an irascible, angry, threatening figure that you don't for a second kind of question that because that's you know what happens when you go to the cinema you absolutely um accept that there will be an older woman who will be you know like uh, making um trouble for a young man in the pursuit of his kind of romantic uh dreams and aspirations or like stepping in the way of of young women and young men and they're and they're coming together and I think that that's something that I really wanted to kind of 
um, examine a bit as to, you know, the reasoning behind that. And also, you know, it's all about this idea of him as a protector. That's the big kind of thing in the film is that like, you know, we, we understand, you know, threatening male characters, male violence to be kind of, um, uh, scary men who live in weird houses, who like wear weird clothes and stalk women at night. And like, that is just not the truth for most women. That is not, you know, the, 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 the reality of living with, with male violence. I mean, in fact, it can be much more subtle. Women can live their entire lives with a man who thinks of himself as a provider and a protector and actually is constantly policing women and, you know, and idealizing them. And it's through their idealization of women that actually they are kind of the most threatening. And of course, an older woman is not an idealized version of a woman. She's already a failure. She's already kind of broken the contract by getting ugly, you know? So those were all kind of ideas that I wanted to kind of explore and play with in the film, which are all really to do with how the audience relates to, to Thomas, who, who, what they immediately understand him to be. And hopefully they immediately understand him to be this like lovely young guy who's just trying to help everybody. <laughs> I mean, it, it does help as well. The, the casting of Alec in this, who is just so charming and so, lovely and has kind of such a positive um energy as a performer that you it becomes a real a real kick in the teeth really when you start to um to question your own relationship and expectation of his character um but before we get into that part yeah, which I think that is, was yeah a I think, unfair of me <laughs> I do I definitely have like a weapon uh which is that I employ the most sympathetic man you could possibly imagine in that role so yeah okay I maybe loaded my um my gun a bit with that I mean it's kind of really brilliant casting in in many ways but I want I want to get to his character kind of when we talk a little bit more about the the, the ending of the film but before that I, I, it's very curious that you brought up um fairy tales and kind of the the more fantastical elements of horror that you were growing up on because I got this distinct very kind of fairy tale-esque aspect to the film when I was watching it and I was wondering kind of which which elements of those fairy tale um it, that fairy tale imagery did you want to take in and an upend in the film? Yeah, so there's obviously, you know, uh, a man in a forest. Like these flashbacks, I think, are really um, significant because they are dreams. They're dreams, that, but but they're also flashbacks. But I think that when we we when we go into that space, I wanted to feel. I wanted it to feel like you know this. Um, almost like a kind of medieval kind of glade, you know, this very kind of nurturing, luscious kind of ancient forest um, with this uh, man who's a soldier, you know, and that kind of like hopefully kind of, you know, brings to mind the kind of knightly tradition and valour and protection and all of those sorts of ideas that we have, you know, and a woman who's in need, you know, coming to the aid of a woman in need. And um, yeah, so they, I think those were all kind of, those were all there. Those those were all in play, you know, and the idea of the house being like, a, you know, a castle. There's a woman trapped in a house who can't leave, you know, by an evil queen. Those are definitely fairy tale tropes, but they're also tropes that you see in every kind of contemporary film that you go to watch and cinema and they, they exist in our conscious and our subconscious for a reason, you know, because um, they're all, they're part of our kind of mythology. Um, and, uh, yeah, and that was 
sort of sort of conscious and also sort of not conscious in that like I said I, I kind of wrote the film uh, very much without a sort of very strong sense of what I was going to write beforehand and and that was um yeah and, and those those uh, ideas those tropes were kind of part of it and I want to I want to get into the the ending and the kind of the latter part of the film and I think this is very much a spoilerific section for so for anybody listening who hasn't seen Amulet yet and you want to avoid getting spoiled then maybe maybe switch off now and then come back don't, into it don't, yeah. <laughs> once you've seen the again. film yeah. <laughs> so um with that said like I mentioned before there is there is kind of a two ways of approaching Thomas in a way because you you see him you you're introduced to him in one way you have a certain set of expectations and once we find out what he really did and what he's been carrying um there is there is an ickiness I think to realizing that you've spent so much time in the film next to a rapist who doesn't see himself as one who doesn't who hasn't accepted that what he did was uh was wrong um so I'm, I'm wondering kind of how did you approach this in the script and also uh as a director with Alec yeah I think um it was really great working with Alec um something that I was very uh, wary of, very worried about was uh, working with an actor who would see it as his job to kind of, and you know, it's hard because your job as an actor is to kind of defend your character, you know, but I knew that there were actors and I knew that because I'd worked with actors <laughs> like this who would spend the whole time going, um, but you know, he was very fucked up at the time and maybe we could have a line in there about how his mum wasn't nice to him. You know, they would kind of take on the situation and see it as their job to kind of protect the character from any kind of uh, criticism because they are insecure in themselves and feel like they, you know, are being criticized if the character that they're playing is being criticized. And I know people are going to think I'm crazy, but it happens all the time, you know, and you, and I think particularly for men, like, you know, being in an environment where the character they're playing is like doing bad things or doing morally compromised things. Like they can often spend a lot of time on set, just like going like, but you know, maybe we could have a line about how, you know, the week before he delivered some shopping to an old lady, like they're just, trying to defend themselves you know and we just didn't have the time to do that on set there was never going to be that so you know when I sat down with Alec and I was like look you know this is a man who's committed a violent rape and he's got away with it and he absolutely characterizes himself as a good person he has locked away that event in a part of his psyche he has um entirely kind of sealed it off and if you asked him whether he was a good person or not he would say yes without a second's kind of pause or consideration and Alec is such a kind of intelligent and um emotionally secure man that he was just like yes absolutely that happens it happens to all people it happens to men and women you can do a terrible thing and you can just seal it off and I just knew that we would we would be great we would be golden that like he was incredibly trusting of me it's obviously goes to some very extreme places the film um and you know and more than that he just absolutely accepted this kind of basic fact about about the character that he was playing and didn't sort of feel like he needed to kind of justify himself himself Alec or the character particularly that he just he just understood that there was that dichotomy at the center of who he was and that was amazing and you know took a great deal of faith in him uh, you know from him to 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 me and I'm very grateful for that because yeah he was brilliant in the film 
and and I'm really conscious as well of the fact that the the war that he has hanging over his his kind of background is is a named and you know fictional. But I'm very conscious that there is a legacy, especially um, in Eastern Europe, of of having a very real uh, of several generations of people kind of either growing up or living with the trauma very often unresolved of the legacy of war and of people getting away with with war crimes and not dealing with them either individually or socially. Um, so. Can you talk a little bit about how did you think about that? Did you approach that in your research for Amulet? Yeah, well, right before I had the meeting where someone was like, you should try writing a horror film. I read the book about the manhunt for Slobodan Milosevic. And so I was, I think, influenced by that. Mm -hmm. But I was also conscious that that is a very, I didn't want the film to be about that war. The film mm -hmm. is not about that war. It's about any war. It could be any war. But yeah. I also couldn't set it in England because I think if we were watching him walk through, you know, a forest that was clearly the UK, then I think you sort of get into a kind of science fiction space where people are like, what war is that? Is that the future? Is that the past? So it's not a named war. It's a war that happens in somewhere that isn't England, but it also could be any conflict in that, you know, as we all sadly understand and know, one of the very first things that happens in war is that men use it as an opportunity to take revenge on women or, or you know, to, to sort of sexually abuse them. And yeah, and then any society that's had a civil war then has to go through a process of deciding what to do about the people that have, have committed those crimes. You know, moving forwards requires massive individual suffering for people who are never going to get any kind of justice. But then if you, you know, put those people on trial, then potentially you risk the war never ending. You know, that's obviously, um, you know, comes at a terrific cost as well. And I don't obviously have any kind of answer to that extremely complex question. But I think the film expresses a sense of tremendous rage <laughs> that I have about the um, the fact that, that those crimes are often seen as the ones that are disposable you know sexual crimes are the ones that are usually seen as the ones that can be kind of um characterized as um livable with existable mm. with and i think that that you know and we see that even in societies that that aren't at war you know <laughs> like even just our own society you know that there's a certain amount of kind of um uh, a like sexual aggression that's just accepted in a society as a kind of fact of life and that you know it's madness to assume that women should live in a society where they wouldn't be um catcalled in the street or you know it's all part of a kind of vast continuum of uh, male sexual entitlement that women are expected to live with and I think that that my anger about that my sense of frustration about that are all obviously things that are kind of like it yeah in the movie and and I think and I know we're running out of time, but I, I'd be remiss not to ask you about the ending. And it's really interesting to I'm um, replaying it in my head with as I hear you speak about this kind of this this intense uh, and kind of longstanding and I think quite universal rage that a lot of women feel on an everyday basis. And there is an element of that that is coming through to me in that ending. And I I don't really have a. I don't really know how to ask you about it because even as I was watching it, I was like, I don't, what, what? What is happening? <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, like a very visceral gut punch. And knowing that you were watching Cronenberg films, it makes a lot more sense. But I wanted to ask you kind of where did this visceral um, body horror 
transformational ending kind of come from and what did, why did you want to end that film on that well i think uh so there's obviously a kind of um there's a there's a focus on the film in in birth and the kind of primal agony of birth and the fact that you know women are usually the ones who have to kind of experience the primal agony of birth even if the sexual act is non-consensual and that kind of idea is kind of turned on its head in the film but i also think there's something about um the sort of mythic power of the kind of eternal female and you know the vagina and like what i wanted at the end although it's a shell this 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 um thing that he crawls into is a shell i wanted it to be like he was crawling inside a woman and that carla inside is like you know when we when we drew the figure for this kind of mythic creature i wanted it to have the feeling of like a a you know a varian fallopian tubes and like an ovary and like you know that he was crawling inside a woman and being punished by the kind of like um the essential female you know that was that was the kind of idea but hopefully those things are kind of suggestive you know because you know we did do versions of the end that were felt much more um uh le- less sort of stylized do you know what i mean like felt much more like graphic like he was actually physically crawling inside a woman and that there was a kind of um punishing uh, uh deity inside um a woman but we've ended up with something which is sort of suggested uh, suggestive of those ideas without being like uh whilst at the same time being quite fan- fantasy like fantastical um but yeah those were all the sort of ideas um like going on inside my head and and obviously it's kind of cathartic and it's you know it's just the idea of there being some kind of eternal punishment for those acts and also the idea that women having a kind of a power inside their bodies you know that are usually sort of receptacles and that actually that that could could be um a place of kind of strength and um of revenge Carmela, thank you so much. Um, and good luck with the uh, with the release of Amulet as well. Thanks so much. It's absolutely fantastic to be here. Thank you, Anna. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.